Hello, listeners. This is the reading of the Sabbath School lesson for the fourth and final quarter of 2023. This week's lesson, number six, is titled Motivation and Preparation for Mission. It's ready for teaching on November 11, and it comes from the series God's Mission, Our Mission. Your reader this week is Dr. Percy Harold. Sabbath afternoon, November 4. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories that come from your word. And this week, as we look at another story, another motivation for mission, as we look at what Jesus has told us, as we prepare to share your love and your grace and your soon coming with those around us, we pray that... Your Holy Spirit will speak to each of us this week. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with each of us with our own individual walk with you, but also with those that we associate with, particularly our family, our children, our parents, our extended family, our churches, Lord, and those we work with. Lord, we pray that this week you will be known to us, that we may recognize you in our lives. And today I'd like to pray particularly for Glenn Brown of Jamaica with a health problem, for Thelma Ray of St. Thomas and her family as well, Lord, and uh, SJ from Florida, uh, who is visually challenged, Lord, uh, and as he uses this service, I pray that your word may become as bright as day for him. Lord, for O'Shane and siblings, uh, I pray for them, Lord, and for Victor Kipkuri from uh, Kenya, and Sher and her husband and daughters from Jamaica, and Jerry, who has a health problem. Lord, I pray that you'll be with him, and may he know your comfort and your grace in his life. And finally, for Antunes Bastos from Angola. Lord, wherever we're listening, we know that we can put our trust in you because you are faithful. As we open your word now, may your spirit guide our thinking, may our lives be enriched, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Luke 24 and verse 44. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Let's read that again, Luke 24, verse 44. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Some indeed preach Christ, even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defence of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Philippians chapter 1 verses 15 through to 18. Powerful words, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached and that is what mattered to Paul. Ideally though, our motives for preaching Christ, for mission, for reaching others with the good news, should be out of love and out of truth and not from selfish ambition, envy or strife. 
What then are some of the motivations for preaching Christ? And what are some of the ways that we can prepare for doing this? This week, we will look at some events in the early church that can give us guidance on these crucial parts of mission. Sunday, November 5, to share the good news. Read Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. What was the response of those who heard about the risen Christ? Luke 24, beginning at verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed, marvelling to himself at what had happened. Early Sunday morning after Jesus' death, Luke says that a number of women went to the tomb. They had spices with them, so it's likely that they were going to tend to Jesus' body now that the Sabbath was over. Expecting to find a still-sealed tomb, they were shocked to find the tomb empty. Unsure what to do, they were afraid when two men in shining clothing appeared. However, the men had a message for them. Reminding them of Jesus' words, they told the women that Jesus had indeed risen as he had said he would. Overjoyed with news, they quickly returned to where the disciples and many of Jesus' other followers were staying and told what they had seen and heard because their excitement could not be contained. That is, they were sharing with others what they had learned of Christ. Can you imagine how the women must have felt? They had just had an amazing experience, one that certainly filled them with awe, but the disciples called their experience idle tales and would not believe them. Thus, not sure whether to believe the women or not, Peter ran to the tomb to see for himself. For Peter, and for many of us, there is a hesitancy to accept something simply because someone else said it. Though Peter listened to the women, he could not share in their experience until later. At first, all he experienced was an empty tomb, and that, Luke says, simply left him marvelling to himself. His experience at the tomb was not the same as that of the women. 
Regardless of Peter's response, as soon as these women heard the news about Jesus, they wanted to share it with others. What greater motivation for mission could there be than to let others know about Jesus and what he has done for them? What greater motive than to spread the good news of salvation in Jesus, the only hope any of us have? Of course, we need a personal experience with God ourselves before we can share it with others. Our desire to share with others what we love so much must be a crucial part of our motivation for mission. In the end, we can't share what we ourselves don't have, can we? And so to finish today, what are some of the experiences you have had with the reality of God and His love? Why are these times so precious to you? And how do they motivate you to reach out to others with the good news? Monday, November 6, A Prophetic Foundation Read Luke chapter 24, verses 36 to 49. What happened here, and why was this such a pivotal experience for the apostles? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 24, and we're starting at verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your heart? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. It is interesting that at first the disciples did not believe out of fear. Then after seeing Jesus and being assured that he was indeed alive, they did not believe for joy in verse 41. Have you ever felt that something was too good to be true? This was the experience of the disciples and the others in the upper room. If Jesus had left them only with this experience, however, then when he departed, their faith might not have lasted. Over time, the power of the experience could have faded. They would forget or start, perhaps even to question it. 
So Jesus didn't stop with showing them his scars and eating fish in front of them. Instead, he took them into the word and showed them the prophetic foundation for his work and ministry. That is, no matter how great the experience that they had with him, Jesus still wanted their faith grounded in the word of God. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me, he said in verse 44. Here too we find a powerful motivation for witness, for mission, the word of God. Jesus knew that to solidify the disciples' experience, they needed to understand why he had to die and what his resurrection signified. They needed their worldview to be shifted from a political and earthly kingdom to the great solution to sin and the victory of Christ over death. The gospel was so much more than achieving political sovereignty for Israel. It revealed Christ's victory over Satan and guaranteed that one day all wickedness in the world would be destroyed, that the earth would be created anew, and that God would be among his people. He opened their understanding in verse 45 so they could comprehend these truths, which they were to share with the world. Our experiences with Jesus cannot be sustained without the foundation of his word, including the prophecies that point to the history and events leading up to and including the first and second advents of Christ. With these truths firmly understood, we can be ready and motivated for mission. And so to finish today... How well grounded are you in the prophecies that point to Christ, both his first and second comings? Especially in the last days, why must we be grounded in the word of God, including the prophecies, and why is understanding them so crucial, especially for mission? Tuesday, November 7, Waiting and Mission. Luke 24 ends with Jesus' ascension into heaven, as we read in Luke 24, verses 50 to 53. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. But that is not the end of the story. The author, Luke, continues writing the book of Acts. Just before Jesus ascended to heaven, he gave the disciples a mission, a promise, and immediate instructions to wait in Jerusalem for power from on high, as it said in verse 49. We'll also look at Acts 1, verses 4 to 8. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus instructed the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until he fulfilled his promise to send the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who would empower them to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and beyond. Read Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. What were the disciples, now numbering about 120 men and women, doing while they were waiting? Acts 1, beginning at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brothers. And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, altogether the number of names was about a hundred and twenty, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered with us and obtained a part in his ministry. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem. So that field is called in their own language, Akoldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. Therefore, as these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed too, Joseph called Barsabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven disciples. Jesus had given the disciples a clear mission. They were to be witnesses for him to the world. So, while they waited, they prepared for their mission in two ways. First, Luke says they continued in united prayer and supplication. There was no question in any of their minds about what the mission was that Jesus had given them, and they had each accepted that mission. This inspired them to unite in prayer. Luke does not share what they were praying about, but it is most certain that they were praying for wisdom, strength and courage to fulfil the mission together. 
What an example for us. The second thing they did while they waited was to prepare logistically for their mission. Judas had handed Jesus over for execution and had then taken his own life. This had left a vacancy among the twelve. So, as they waited, the disciples sought God's guidance and selected a replacement. In effect, the disciples were organizing themselves and planning the start of their mission. In the making of these decisions, Peter played a leadership role. No one challenged his move. They all saw God's wisdom in it. There was an understanding and a trust that God was acting and working and moving in their midst. Their time of waiting was not idle, but was filled with purpose and mission-driven action. While we wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to help us complete the great mission of God, we must unite to encourage each other, praying for God's Holy Spirit, as we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Also, we should be aligning ourselves and our church with God's priority, the saving of the lost. And so to finish today, how can you learn to wait upon the Lord and not lose faith in the meantime? Meanwhile, while waiting, how can you best use your time as the disciples did here? Wednesday, November 8, Whom You Crucified. Acts chapter 2 records the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. As the followers of Jesus were praying, tongues of fire rested upon their heads. They recognized that the promised power of the Holy Spirit had been given. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 41. What happened to the disciples as a result of receiving the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Acts 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marvelled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, 
Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know him, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You have made me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne, he, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? 
Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. The disciples began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance, we read in chapter 2, verse 4. What's critical here is that God empowered each person for the benefit of unbelievers. The blessing wasn't meant merely for their own good. It wasn't a blessing to make them fit for heaven or a blessing to make it easy to do business in a foreign language. The blessing was given for fulfilling God's mission to the lost. Today, God calls on each of his followers to use their personal gifts for the good of his mission to unbelievers. We have been given gifts. What greater call to mission than to use what we've been given to reach others? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit resulted in many of the people repenting of their rejection of the Messiah, for surely some of them were in Jerusalem when he died. Think of the power here. Peter accused some of them of having crucified the Christ. Obviously, they realized what they had done and, being convicted, cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? in verse 37. And yet, even they could receive forgiveness. Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, in verse 38. Working together in harmony with the Holy Spirit and each other, these followers of Jesus preached repentance and the forgiveness of sins even for those who could have been directly involved in crucifying Jesus. That is the power of the gospel. If that message doesn't motivate us to mission, what will? We are called to spread the gospel to the world, a sinful, fallen, corrupt world with sinful, fallen and corrupt people. Our job is not to judge. Our job is to witness to the saving power of Jesus. And so to finish the day, why should the idea that even some of those who were complicit in Christ's death were offered salvation, one, encourage us for our own souls, and two, encourage us to witness to others, no matter how bad they may seem to be. Thursday, November 9. A picture of the early church. Read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47. What kind of picture of the early church is present here? 
Acts 2, beginning at verse 41. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all, as any one had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Acts 2 ends with a beautiful picture of what the early church was like. Acts 2.41 says that those who were baptised were added to them. We could read this to say that someone did the maths and added the number of new believers to the number of existing believers and established a new total membership for the group. But that is a shallow understanding. Hidden in the wording is the idea that these newly baptised believers became part of the group as equals. Meanwhile, a core function of the early Christian church was discipleship. As new members were added, they were discipled in three ways. First, they continued to be taught by the Apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The words doctrine and fellowship in this text literally mean instruction and partnership. The Apostles' preaching confronted incorrect beliefs and offered new explanations for what people were seeing and experiencing. But it didn't teach them how to live out that new truth in their lives. Rather, the application of truth in one's life happened in relationship as part of the group. New believers were carefully and intentionally discipled through direct teaching as well as through participation in the daily lives of the other believers, all under the supervision and leadership of the spiritually mature and grounded apostles. It is poor preaching that tells people what to do, but not how to do it. However, even if one reads how-to books or listens to sermons that explain how to do things, there is no substitute for seeing people doing it and then imitating them. Paul knew this and instructed his followers to imitate him as he had imitated Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he writes, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. When others can see you and the reality of your experience with Christ, it will impact them as well. And so to finish the day, we have challenge. Think of someone in your life who you wish was a believer. Pray every day for him or her to have a personal experience with Jesus. And challenge up. Whom are you discipling and leading into a relationship with Jesus? Look for ways to bring him or her into fellowship with other believers.
Friday, November 10. Our mission work must come from deep love and thankfulness for what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives. Any other motivation is misguided. Keeping immersed in the Word and in tune with the Word is the key to successful outreach and evangelism. We read in Christ's Object Lessons, page 129 and 130, our life is to be bound up with the life of Christ. We are to draw constantly from Him, partaking of Him, the living bread that came down from heaven, drawing from a fountain ever fresh, ever giving forth its abundant treasures. If we keep the Lord ever before us, allowing our hearts to go out in thanksgiving and praise to Him, we shall have a continual freshness in our religious life. Our prayers will take the form of a conversation with God as we would talk with a friend. He will speak His mysteries to us personally. Often, there will come to us a sweet, joyful sense of the presence of Jesus. Often our hearts will burn within us as He draws nigh to commune with us as He did with Enoch. When this is in truth the experience of the Christian, there is seen in his life a simplicity, a humility, meekness and lowliness of heart that show to all with whom he associates that he has been with Jesus and learned of him. End of quote. And from the same book, page 67 and 68. There can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centred in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal saviour, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell others of his self-sacrificing death in their behalf. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish love and labour for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. Your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, your love be made perfect. End of quote. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, how do you understand Paul's words in Philippians about Christ's being preached out of envy, strife, or selfish ambition? How can we make sure that we ourselves are not guilty of doing just that? And two, what has been your own personal experience with the reality of God and God's love? That is, based on your own experiences, could you preach to others with sincerity and honesty about the goodness and love of God? What would your testimony be? And three, what has been your experience in waiting upon the Lord? And what has it taught you about trusting in Him and about faith in general? Blessing is Greater to Us by Andrew McChesney A woman in the U.S. state of North Carolina invited her two church pastors to her house to talk about something weighing heavily on her heart, the annual sacrifice offering. She described how the Seventh-day Adventist Church had established the offering in a last-ditch effort to avoid calling missionaries home because of a lack of funds in 1922. She spoke about how people gave then and how the offering still supports missionaries today. The pastors took her appeal to heart. 
One even preached a nine-part series on sacrifice ahead of the annual offering, which is collected in most parts of the world on the second Sabbath of November. As a result, the annual sacrifice offering at the 700-member Hendersonville Seventh-day Adventist Church soared from $1,400 the previous year to $24,119 that year in 2016. The growth was only the beginning. During the COVID-19 pandemic, when the World Church again faced a budget crunch, members gave an astonishing $37,545 to the 2021 annual sacrifice offering. We were happily surprised, said Pastor David Wright. Praise the Lord. He credited God's grace for members' sacrificial giving. It is true this will bring much-needed light into a dark area of the 1040 window, he said. But consider the blessing that is ours as a church family. I have to believe the blessing is greater to us because Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Adventist Mission Director Gary Krause agreed, noting that Adventist Church co-founder Ellen White called such a blessing the reflex influence. She said church members' generosity toward foreign fields promoted success in their home field. For example, when some church leaders questioned the wisdom of sending funds abroad in 1900, White declared, The prosperity of the homework depends largely upon the reflex influence of the work done in countries afar off. This is quoted from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, page 27. The Adventist Church's top statistician, David Trim, has statistically verified White's assertion. A sacrificial spirit has permeated the church since its origins. World Church leader Ted N. C. Wilson said, We are told that God's Advent movement was started in sacrifice and it will end in sacrifice, he said. What a privilege for each of us to sacrificially share what God has given to us. Thank you for considering a generous donation to the 2023 annual sacrifice offering. For online information, you can visit bit.ly slash annual-sacrifice-offering. See also Global Mission, gm.adventistmission.org. The 1922 Annual Sacrifice Offering, bit.ly-1922-offering. And Ellen White's Reflex Influence bit.ly slash egw dash reflex. You have been listening to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Lessons by Dr. Percy Harold and the inside story by his niece, Sibylla. Apart from being provided free to those who are visually impaired, these audio lessons are available on the official General Conference Sabbath School and Personal Ministry app, on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, and also on YouTube. Search for Percy Harold Sabbath to find all of these. And remembering all the time that God is always faithful. Thank you.